we're in for a real treat, I'd like to welcome up Sarah Anderson, our children's pastor. She's going to give the message. So join me in welcoming Sarah. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Right. Today, we are going to talk about what your marriage really needs this Christmas. Okay, this Christmas season, it has a lot of potential to bring our marriages closer together. We have times where we can like create more intimacy with each other. We're making memories. We're celebrating traditions together. But if we're honest, there's also the potential for disaster. Because all of this pressure to create intimacy and memories, it just builds. And it can kind of build and build and build until it becomes kind of like a powder keg. And all you need is one tiny little spark and there's a big explosion within your marriage. So we're going to look at Christmas as a whole and how it can bring us closer together instead of driving a wedge in between us. We're going to look at the, um, some practical things you can do to avoid those big explosions this season some marriage principles we can find within Mary and Joseph's relationship in the Christmas narrative, and just the big picture of Christmas. So most of what I'm going to talk about today can apply to other relationships in your life as well, friendships, family relationships. So if you're not married now or if you've never been married, stick with me. There's still some things that you can learn today. So Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time that you've given us. I pray that you would soften our hearts towards you that you would fill my mouth with the words that are pleasing to your heart. We love you, God. Amen. So the first thing your marriage needs this Christmas is sacrificial intentionality. That sounds like a mouthful, but we're not going to get through this Christmas season or really even marriage without being sacrificially intentional with our spouses. We have to be intentional because otherwise, before we know it, it's the new year. And we've not grown spiritually during this season, and we've not grown closer to our spouse. We've spent all this time doing. We've wrapped presents, we've shopped, we've baked, we've cooked, we've gone to parties, and we haven't spent enough time just being with the people that we love or doing things that are actually going to mean something to them in this holiday season. Or worse yet, we look around and years have gone by, and we don't even know our spouse anymore. Time just slips past us. We have to be intentional. We can set some small, practical goals of intentionality that can help this season become more meaningful, both spiritually and relationally. So how do we do this? Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book back in 1995 called The Five Love Languages. The premise of the book is that there are five ways that we all like to give and receive love. So these five ways are acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation, receiving gifts, and quality time. There's a free test online. If you just Google five love languages test, it'll pop up. I think there's about 30 questions. It didn't take long. I just retook the test this week because I wanted to see if my love languages have changed at all. Um, so it's real quick and easy. So I encourage you, if you've never figured out what, love, what your love language is, do the test. And then encourage your spouse to do the test as well. So my husband, Grant... Let's say, for example, that his love language is words of affirmation. And so the way that he best gets filled up and the way that 
feels the most loving to him is when I speak encouragement over him, when I tell him he's a good husband, when I tell him he's a good dad, when I tell him I love him. That's what really fills him up and makes him feel loved. But the way that I choose to show him love is through acts of service. So I clean his bathroom for him. I take the trash out for him, which he probably would really like that because I don't ever take out the trash. <laughs> um, one of the perks of being married, I guess. But, <laughs> um, but I feel like I'm spending myself. I feel like I'm pouring myself out to him. And sure, he likes it when I do those things, but it's not really filling him up in the best way. I need to know what is going to feel the most loving to my spouse, and then I need to do it. I made a commitment to love and to honor him, so I need to know how he can best receive my love. Otherwise, we're going to have a breakdown. We're both going to be spending ourselves, and we're not going to be making any forward progress. So what is going to make this Christmas season special for your spouse? If their love language is quality time, sit down, get out your Google calendars, and schedule some time to be together. We're so busy nowadays that's what we do. We sit down and we say, okay, which night are we both going to actually be home where we can have a date night on the couch after the kids go to bed? Schedule some quality time with each other. Is it physical touch? Don't get so wrapped up in your day and in wrapping presents and all the things you need to do that you forget to take time out to give your spouse a hug when they come home from work, that you don't snuggle with them when you're holding a movie. Keep all... When you're watching a movie. So... (laughs) Holding each other. So keep those little physical touches in throughout your days, even when you're busy, especially when you're busy. Is it words of affirmation? Be prepared to thank your spouse for putting up the Christmas tree. Thank your spouse for wrapping the presents. Thank your spouse for making all the money that you just spent at Target on Christmas gifts. Encourage them. If it's acts of service, you have such an opportunity in this season to serve your spouse because there's so many things that need to be done. I myself almost had a panic attack a few days ago. My kids were counting down how many days until Christmas and my heart just started to beat and I thought, oh my goodness, the list of things that have to be accomplished between now and then is astronomical. So help your spouse with some of the mundane daily tasks that need to be done so they can focus on making this holiday special. Or is it receiving gifts? My primary love language is receiving gifts. I don't really like that because it feels like it makes me petty, but it is what it is. If your spouse likes receiving gifts, shop now. Okay? Don't wait. Shop now, wrap it well, and then tell them you bought them something. Give them hints, like build the anticipation. For us, it's not about receiving a gift. It's about that this person thought about me. They planned ahead. They went out. They purchased a gift that would mean something to me. Okay, It doesn't have to be expensive. I um, have a love affair with queso, the little white cheese dip that you get from Mexican restaurants. It's my favorite snack. And so one day, about five years ago probably, Grant had to work late. And he came home probably at 10, 10.30 at night. And he walked in the door with this bag. And I said, what is that? And it was chips and queso from my favorite Mexican restaurant. And guys, the love that swelled up in my heart in that moment... <laughs> Like, it was indescribable because he knew me. He 
loved me and he knew me and he knew what I would enjoy. And he took time out of his already super long day to stop and wait for them to make that. I mean, they don't have a drive through. I mean, that took some effort, right? He loves me. Some women get flowers. I get queso. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. If your spouse feels loved and is receiving love the way that they need to, these big explosions are going to happen much less. In 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Sin really means to miss the mark. I don't know about you, but I miss the mark in my marriage all the time. I say the wrong thing, or I say it in the wrong tone of voice, or I don't give grace when I need to give grace. I miss the mark all the time in my marriage. But if I am sacrificially trying to love him well in the, in the way that he needs to be loved, it's going to cover a lot of that. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, the sacrificial part of this is we need to sacrifice the way that we would naturally love others. I can still do acts of service for my husband. He's still going to enjoy that. But I need to sacrifice that and I need to love him the way that he needs to be loved. You know, I'm not naturally inclined towards physical touch, especially when I'm upset. You know, we have the fight or flight response when we're upset. I am flight. I am get as far away as possible from whatever has the potential to hurt me. But Grant has a really high value for physical touch when we're in conflict. So I've had to sacrifice my flight response and go over and hold his hand and say, hey, can we talk about this? I have to initiate that with him. And I don't really like doing that. It's really hard for me. But I do it because I love him. And I'm supposed to love him in the way that he needs to be loved. So I'm trying and I'm growing in that. But we also need to sacrifice with our Christmas traditions. It's hard to blend two family traditions together into one. Do we eat turkey or ham for Christmas dinner? Where are we going to spend Christmas Eve? Where are we going to spend Christmas morning? Which grandma's roll recipe are we going to use this Christmas? Right? Serious question at our house. One year we really couldn't decide, so we had a competition. And it got a little cutthroat. We each had our mothers helping us to make our own grandmother's rolls. And it really was not the best marital decision that we've ever made. We did have a lot of rolls to eat that year. And it's kind of a funny memory. But man, it can be tricky to blend those traditions together. So what I want to encourage you to do is to sacrifice a tradition this year to make room for something that would really be meaningful to your spouse. Ideally, they'll reciprocate, but even if not, you've loved them, you've sacrificed, you've been intentional about that. And I also want to encourage you to make a tradition that's entirely your own, that comes from the two of you, that doesn't come from either side of the family. We've been doing the Advent readings from children's ministry. Now, I created those, so I tend to like them. But we've been doing it the past couple years, and we buy a Lego advent calendar, and then my mom usually gives us a chocolate advent calendar, and then we're doing the 24 Days of Kindness paper chain. And so we have three kids, so we'll read the Bible story together, 
And then they get to rotate who gets to build the Lego, who gets to eat the chocolate, who gets to do the paper chain. And it's this really sweet time for our family in this season. So the second thing that your marriage needs this Christmas is a heavenly perspective. This means that we need to see our spouses the way that God sees them. Not through the lenses of society or our own flaws or even how our family might view our spouse, but with heaven's perspective. Joseph did this. He allowed God to shape his view of Mary. We're going to look at a passage in Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph allowed God to shape his view of Mary. Joseph was a righteous, upstanding, follow-the-law kind of guy. It's part of why God picked him to be the father of Jesus. He was righteous. And when his fiancée turned up pregnant, he didn't scream and shout and call her immoral or crazy. But he did plan to divorce her quietly because he wasn't supposed to marry someone that was pregnant already, someone who hadn't been faithful. Being engaged was a much bigger legal deal back then than it is now. If you, you couldn't just break off an engagement, you had to actually go through the process of a divorce. But Joseph clearly loved her. He wasn't vindictive towards her, and he didn't want her to experience any more public scrutiny than she already was. You know, public stonings still happened in that culture, not as a legal repercussion necessarily but because the crowds sometimes took it upon themselves to execute judgment on people. They were still under the law. In Deuteronomy 22.20, it says, If a man marries a girl who is claimed to be a virgin and then finds that she is not, they shall bring the girl to the entrance of her father's house, and there her townsmen shall stone her to death. Thank God we are not under the law anymore, right? I mean, that's pretty harsh. The fact that Joseph didn't want to subject her to this shows us that he loved her. He cared about her. He was just going to divorce her quietly because he was trying to do the right thing by his religion standards, probably by his family's standards, by the worldly standards. But then he had an encounter with heaven. He allowed the angel in his dream to change his perspective on Mary He left behind what society was going to think and say. He left behind what his family was going to say. 
He left behind all of his doubts and fears and clear-headed and focused, he made a choice to stand beside her. He married her because he knew what God thought about her and he allowed that to influence his perspective of her. And in doing so, he saved her life. He gave her protection. He gave her validation. And let's not forget the little baby in her womb. He protected Jesus as well. You know, Joseph plays a much more important role in Jesus being born than we really give him credit for. You know, I like to think that God probably had a plan B if Joseph didn't stay. But, you know, you never know what would have happened. It's interesting to think about. So as spouses, we have the awesome privilege of knowing each other more intimately than anybody else does. With other people in our lives, we might have a couple interactions with them a week. But with our spouse, we're having hundreds of interactions per week. We just see them all the time. We're texting, we're talking on the phone. There's just all these interactions. It is that much more vital that we have God speaking into our perspective on our spouse. If I'm only thinking about what I'm seeing in in the earthly realm about my spouse, I'm going to be drawn to what's ugly, what's annoying, What's not good about my spouse? I need God to realign my perspective about my spouse. I need God's insight on what their calling is so that I can come alongside them and support them. I need to hear God's heart for them so that my heart can be softer towards them. I need God to show me the gold in them so that I'm not drawn to the bad. Because we spend so much time together, we can get muddled up in these day-to-day interactions, and we need God to realign our hearts and give us heaven's perspective on our spouse and on the other people we spend time with as well. God shared Mary's calling with Joseph so that he could be there for her. I'm sure Mary had times when she doubted, but Joseph was there. He was able to be a support system for her because he had heaven's perspective. Um, About nine years ago, I had this new desire that started to well up within me, and I wanted to adopt a baby. Um, My husband, Grant, wasn't in the same place as I was, and so time went on, and we had our second son, and again, this desire just started to come, and I really started to feel like adoption was a calling on my life. You know, in James one twenty seven, it tells us that we're to care for the orphan. And that felt really personal to me, and it felt like something I was supposed to do. But how do you pursue an, a calling like adoption when your spouse isn't on board? So my sister-in-law is really wise, and she told me, Sarah, just rest. Pray for Grant's heart and rest. So I did. And I prayed for his heart, and several months went by. And we were driving home from church one day. I remember where we were on the highway. And he turned and he looked at me and he said, you know, I think it would be really cool to be a father to the fatherless. And tears just came down my face because he had an encounter with God. And his perspective changed and he was able to come alongside me in that dream and in that calling. There was nothing in me that wanted to parent an adoptive child with a reluctant spouse. And there was nothing in me that wanted to pressure him into doing it. 
Parenting's hard enough without adding that to it. But he had an encounter with God and he allowed God to shift his perspective. Our adoption story has had quite a few chapters, quite a few ups and downs. We started our application that day and we spent um, nine months with one adoption agency waiting and found out they weren't entirely reputable. So we lost all that time and we lost all that money. And then the week our third son was born, we received our foster care license in the mail. And then when he was five months old, we received our first foster care placement. I have a picture of our family back then. Uh, We had five kids, five and under. They were five, four, three, five months, and five months. So the babies were eight days apart. And you'd be surprised how many people would see me with my double stroller and be like, are they twins? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But in all seriousness, we only survived that year by the grace of God. That is when date nights on the couch became a thing. Because we didn't leave the house. If we did, it was an ordeal. And actually, the day that picture was taken, it was July 4th, and we were up in Cleveland visiting Grant's family, which I don't know why we took five kids on a road trip, but we did. And a couple hours after that picture, Ryan, the little white baby, he um, developed a fever, and a really high fever, and so I took him to urgent care, and then urgent care got nervous, so they called an ambulance, And so I'm in an ambulance with Ryan, not knowing what's going on with him, going to this hospital I've never been to before in Cleveland, and Grant was home with the other four kids at his parents' house. But the law back then, the rule, was that you couldn't leave foster kids with anyone who wasn't foster care certified. So his parents were not foster care certified, so he couldn't come and join us. He had to stay home with the other four kids, and I had to be at the hospital by myself with Ryan. I mean... Things like that happened all the time. It was hard. It was really, really hard. But we were in it together. And we had heaven's perspective. So those days, it made it all seem worth it. You know, when you're covered in spit up and there's two babies going opposite directions, it's only knowing that you're doing this because of God's call on your life that makes it worth it. And then last May... I got a phone call from a friend I hadn't spoken to in about 10 years, and she had seen my posts on Facebook, and um, she said that her cousin had been raped and was pregnant and wondered if we would adopt her baby girl. And I wasn't quite sure. I thought that door had kind of closed. These girls went back with their mom, and they're doing well. We still get to see them. Um... But I called Grant, and I was in line at Panera when I called him. And he didn't have time. He was in between meetings, and I didn't really have time because I had to place my order. And so I said, you know, do you want this baby girl? And he just said, yeah, I'll talk to you later. But yeah, call her, tell her, yeah. I was like, "Mm, okay, here we go. Um, So door after door just opened. And our home study we accomplished in two weeks, which if you know anything about a home study, like that just doesn't happen. And I think we got the call probably like May 25th or something. She ended up being born June 11th. So this was a very rapid progression. Um, And we went from receiving hourly updates of her labor 
to silence to she was born and she's a part of our family. Please don't contact us again. So that was hard, (laughs) to say the least. Um, I don't understand all of what happened. I don't need to. I know God is good, and I know he has that little girl in his hands. I still have a dresser full of little baby girl clothes in my room because I don't know what, I can't take them out. I don't know what to do with them. Um, If I didn't have heaven's perspective about what was going on, this would not be worth it. I would be a mess. But I know God is good. And I know he has called me to care for the orphan. And there's going to be pain that comes with that. And that's okay. It's okay because he's good. So, the third thing your marriage needs this Christmas is unwavering commitment. And this really is just an extension of what we were just talking about. Beyond Joseph being with Mary in her calling, in the messy work of bringing God's kingdom to earth, he was also beside her in the hard. In the public's eyes, this was the time of Mary's deepest shame, of her deepest failure. You know, imagine the things they were saying about her. Can you believe Mary? Can you believe she got pregnant? And oh man, Joseph decided to still marry her. He decided to stay with her. They're crazy. You know, we need to stand beside our spouse when they're following God's call on their life, even when it makes no logical sense. It made zero sense for us to take two girls into our home when we had a five-month-old. Made zero sense. Our family, our friends, they thought we were crazy. And we were. But we were following God's plan for our life, even though it didn't make logical sense. We have to keep heaven's perspective and stay beside our spouse, stay committed. We need to come alongside of our spouses in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their pain, and even in the midst of what society views as their shame. Because we know them. We know them better than anybody else. Joseph came alongside of Mary and he loved her. He stood beside her and he was in. They did not have an easy road. You know, we're going to read Luke 2, 3 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So Joseph's decided to stay, and then they have to take a trip to Bethlehem with his hugely pregnant wife. Okay? I know for me, as a woman, having to give birth in a barn, I wouldn't feel great about that. Okay? Not something I would look forward to. But for Grant, when I was hugely pregnant, that was the time when he was the most fiercely protective of me. 
and the time when his provider instinct kicked in the highest. Imagine what Joseph felt as he has to take Mary and then they're in a barn and he's not able to provide a place for her. I mean, that's hard. And then we see in Matthew 2, 13 through 15, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. They had to flee and go to Egypt because of a bloodthirsty monarch. That's the definition of not easy. Right? And he stays there with her. And then he had to raise God's son. That's tricky. I mean, you think parenting has pressure. That has a lot of pressure. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but in Luke 2, 41 to 52, we read the story about when Jesus was a boy and he and his family had gone to Jerusalem for a festival. And they were with a big caravan of people and they go home and it's a couple days into the trip and they look around and they realize, hey, Jesus isn't with us. They can't find him anywhere. They go back and they find him in the synagogue teaching and everyone there amazed at the things he's saying. Okay, parenting God's son, that's tricky. Like there are circumstances that come up that aren't normal, right? But when we stay through the hard, the glory comes. There's sweet reward of staying through the hard. Going back to the Christmas narrative, we're going to look at Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Imagine how they must have felt. Joseph has decided to stay. He's committed to her. He's there. Mary's endured this pregnancy. They've both endured this trip to Bethlehem. They've been committed, unwaveringly committed to each other and to this call that God has placed on their lives. And then the wise men come and they bow down and they worship Jesus and they shower him with these lavish gifts. I'm imagining that they felt like it's all been worth it. We're not crazy. We are following the call that's on our life. Guys, when we're doing this, when we're following the call that God puts on our life, he is good and he is gracious to us and he gives us what we need. Those gifts provided the funds for them to be able to flee to Egypt, to stay alive, to flee Herod. He he gives us these signs to show us you're doing it. You're on the right track. I'm with you. I've got this. I'll protect you. I'll love you. He stays with us. There's sweet reward when we can endure through the hard. 
Guys, marriage is tough. It just is. Life throws hard things at us. There's so much brokenness in the world all around us. Our current news cycle shows us that. And a lot of times the easiest thing to do would be to just leave. To flee. To divorce her quietly. To start over with somebody else. And not even just with marriage. This applies to family relationships, friendships. Something happens in a relationship, the situation changes, and all of a sudden you think, eh, I'm just going to cut ties, move on. I fell out of love. I'm not in love with them anymore. And we want to make the easy choice and just move on. If we do that, you're going to miss the glory. I don't want you to hear shame in what I'm saying. We all make mistakes. We've all messed up relationships in the past. There's not one of us that's perfect, except for Jesus. But God is the master of using broken people to do his work. Just read the Bible. It is full of crazy, messed up people that God says, oh yeah, I'm going to use you. And they're like, what? And they say, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to use you. And he transforms them and they follow his call and their, their life is just amazing after that. You know, Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. He always hit the mark. He never missed it. He always hit the mark. And you know what, guys? He still has broken relationships. There are still people in this world that choose not to be in relationship with him. If that doesn't speak to how hard relationships can be, nothing will. Relationships are two-way streets. All we can do is love sacrificially, love intentionally, give of ourselves, stay committed, God is in the business of using broken people. Don't let past mistakes keep you from pressing forward and loving in the relationships that you're in now. Don't stay in shame. There is no condemnation for those of us that are in Jesus. Don't stay in shame. Don't stay in guilt. There's freedom. You know, the choice that we make is choosing to marry. A lot of us, when we got married, we said in our vows, for better or for worse. And Tyler Brown was sharing with me, that assumes from the get-go that there will be a worse. (laughs) There will be. Love is action. Love is choosing to stay. Love is looking for the gold in your spouse, seeing God's heart for them, seeing how you can support them in their calling. Love is laying down your life for them. It is only in this space of sacrificial intentionality, heaven's perspective, and unwavering commitment that the true fruit of your marriage will come. Only then will you both be fully activated and ready to pursue God's calling on your life together as a partnership. And guys, that's when the fun really starts. So God, I thank you for today. I thank you for all of these hearts that are here today and all of the marriages that are here today. I pray that you would take us, crazy, messed up, broken people, and you would transform us and you would use us. I pray that you would take any guilt or condemnation that is here today, you would take it and take it away. I pray that you would fill our hearts with your peace, with your love, and with, with your perspective on those that are around us. 
that you would give us the power that we need to love sacrificially and intentionally and the power that we need to stay committed to our spouses and to the others in our lives. We love you, God. Amen. Thank you. We're going to receive our offering now. So on the far left of each row is an offering basket. If you'll pick that up and pass it on down the row. (laughs) You know, we like to start worship, the worship portion of our service with receiving the offering because we really view giving to God as an act of worship. He gives so graciously to us. It's our pleasure and it's our honor to give graciously back to him. So God, we thank you for all of the money that is being given. We pray that you would increase it, you would multiply it, you would use it to change Coleraine, to change Cincinnati, and to change the world for your kingdom. May your kingdom come. Amen. Thank you.